Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. At Zenni, you get the same quality frame and lens options that you'd get from an optician for one-tenth of the price, including blue blockers, progressives, prescription sunglasses, and more. The best part? Try on any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Zenni.com. Eyewear for everyone. Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. Welcome. That was very bullying of me, wasn't it? Very Welcome. upbeat, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where it came Loving from. It. Yeah, I don't know where it came from, man. Uh, Didn't come Craig. from League Club. <laughs> no, you're still there, are you? It's Craig Fitzpatrick, everybody. Still there. Yeah, it's Craig Fitzpatrick. Craig graying, <laughs> just in terms of mood, demeanor, general life experience, Fitzpatrick. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm still there. It's like, as I'm recording this, before we kicked off, I was like, I was just waiting for the Zoom thing to load. And I was like, I could just lie on my bed and just wrap myself up and record like that. Uh, I didn't do it. Although acoustically, it'd probably be preferable. But I interviewed... Yeah, um, I just... I interviewed Howard Howard Lawrence from Disclosure during the week, and uh, oh nice, there we go. He, he was in bed. He was in bed uh, like at nine in the morning. Might as well be with a cup of coffee. <laughs> uh, chat. Maybe him, I should. Yeah. Do, sh- should I move? Sure, why not? Yeah, do what you want. I mean, Craig, it's, it's all it's all to play for, Craig. Um, so yeah, uh, this is, of course, the No Encore Music Podcast and the Headstuff Podcast Network back once again like the Renegade Master. I should point out, by the way, that the Disclosure interview is not for the podcast, but it will be for print. Uh, I should be, hopefully, running in the Business Post next weekend. Uh, haven't written a print review in fucking months, so I'm very excited. And he was nice. lovely. He was very sound. That Disclosure album's out now, actually, so go check it out. 
it's pretty good but check us out first on this episode of no encore we will be reviewing the new album from the killers which dropped last week it's called imploding the mirage and we'll be talking our top five fictional acts and there are some interesting strict provisos to get into on that one there is a brand new episode of no popcorn in your news feed right now your news feed what the fuck did i just say in your podcast feed i think that's what they call it it's on yesterday the film about the beatles yo you know, a bit frazzled, obviously, still <laughs> held over from the experience. From the film, yeah. It's a tough one. It's a tough one, man. That's all I'll say. And uh, if you like this show, we would like you to do a couple of things. One of those things is tell your friends about it. Anyone who may want to listen to a music podcast that comes out week on week. Uh, like this one, which talks about news, reviews albums, does topical top fives, and generally, I hope, has some good humour and insight into the course of things. We are also available on patreon.com slash noencore if you would like to throw us the price of a pint, pretty much, you know? How many of those you have in these days? I don't know. But for this show, it would go an awful long way, and it has gone an awful long way in the remote Zoom era that we continue to have ourselves in. It's been almost half a year, Craig, at this stage. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, when you put it like that, shapers. Um, but I guess here. there's an end in sight. Is there? No, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I believe the World Health Organization have forecast a couple of years from now, possibly, or within a two. Oh, year those time guys frame. don't know what they're talking about. Me, we'll get to it. Yeah, <laughs> what happened we'll with Putin's it, but... um, vaccine? I thought that was gonna be dropping I any been day. My eye on it, man. I haven't been keeping my eye on it, but I've been keeping my eye on a, a brand new list that dropped the day of recording. <laughs> yeah. Big one. Another top 50, no less. This time on Hipster Bible Vice, the top 50 greatest landfill indie songs of all time. Craig, what is landfill indie? Landfill indie is uh, a moment in time, Dave, a moment in musical history when um, the Strokes emerged um, and then the likes of the White Stripes emerged and then in the UK, the likes of Libertines emerged and Franz Ferdinand and suddenly record labels who were I guess on their, nearly on their last legs or didn't quite realise they were on their last legs um, thought, okay, um, guitar music is back. Skinny jeans are back. Let's just sign every band that isn't quite ready to be a band or every, you know, bunch of um, music school toffs that are being, you know, shown how to be a band. Let's just grab those. I'm looking at you, the kooks. And we got wave after wave of pretty meat and potatoes, guitar-based, tunes flooding the charts uh probably last time that'll ever happen some of them were great the tone of this list is weird because it seems like a total like trolling effort from the headline and then the initial intro which is kind of obviously decrying some of the the poor record label choices at the time then when you get into all the write-ups it's like gushing (laughs) it's like these songs are great (laughs) which is uh, kind of how i feel about the whole time myself uh mixed emotions how about you I'm very similar. I'm right there with you. I think there's an awful lot of good stuff here as well. I don't think it's particularly bad era. I mean, I think it's it's fashionable to take the piss out of it as yeah, Vice wants to do, but it is a well-written, put-together thing, and there's some good journalists on here. Uh, I, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to zip through the top 20, Craig, and I guess this, All as right. you say, it's quite UK-centric. So I'm going to go through the top 20, and you can react as, uh, as you see fit. You can give me a boo, you can give me a yay, you can put up your hand, and you can stop me if you got something passionate to say about it. So at number 20, She's Got You High by Mum I've never heard of band or song. Heard the name, don't know the tune. Number 19, See You at the Lights by 1990s. Once again, this is a rough trade act, but I did not know them. Heavy hitter here at number 18, Two Doors Down by the Mystery Jets. That's a fucking belter, isn't it? 
Yeah, and I think the Mystery Jets have right to feel, you know, some some aggravation at being on the list. They're kind of, they were slightly too different and experimental maybe to be considered landfill, but I guess the time period syncs up. Number 17, a genuine indie anthem that I think is excellent to this day, Men's Needs by The Cribs. Don't be yeah. taking shots at that one. It's great. Tremendous band. Also, they wrote the ultimate anti-landfill indie anthem in our bovine public, which is great. And Hey Seensters was upstairs as well. So they hated all these bands and they're at 17. <laughs> Number 16. Oh, cr- absolute war crime. It's Valerie by the Zootons. Yeah, the worst. It's <laughs> the worst. Awful. Uh, actually, no, the worst could be number 15. Sofa Song by the Kooks, who absolutely do belong here, I would suggest. Uh, number 14 yeah. is the Maccabees about your dress. I believe our group chat today lit up with the information that one of them has gone on to become a successful cricket co-commentator, which makes a lot of sense <laughs> for the Maccabees, Bizarre. I think. Yeah, they were they were always yeah, they were quite posh. Um they released some good stuff like later in their career actually. They're kind of a bit more interesting, but yeah, I mean I it, it's also the name, isn't it? Just like at that point where it's like the somethings, the anythings, the Maccabees, the number thirteen. Number thirteen, a band that you like that I don't, the vaccines with if you wanna. Yeah, I feel the same. I think they're they're it's a good brace there, the Maccabees and the vaccines. I think they did some interesting work, but um they didn't do enough to distinguish themselves from the herd, I guess. Number 12, the first Bombay Bicycle Club song I ever heard, Always Like This by Bombay Bicycle Club. A cute little indie anthem, I suppose. Good calling card yeah. for their kind of... It wasn't really landfill again, kind of like Mystery Jets, right? Just a bit different, probably you don't deserve to be here. Number 11, storming out of the Nevermind the Buzzcock studio, the absolute trash that is The Ordinary Boys and Boys Will Be Boys, till the end, I believe. Terrible. Landfill Ska, which is maybe Number the worst 10. genre. Number 10, one that I one that I guess you, you probably didn't have much truck with, uh, Dirty Pretty Things. And bang, 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 you're, bang dead. you're dead. Absolute tune. <laughs> Do you it's like about it? Pete, don't you know? Yeah, that's a good song. The hooks in that are great. Dirty Pretty Things were way more meat and potatoes than Libertines, so it must be said. So um, it, it makes sense that they end up here where it's like clearly just, you know, Carlos getting a second win from being in a far superior band. Number nine, and I saw a lot of people online, particularly UK music journalists, challenge this one in particular, The Rakes and 22 Grand Job, with the contention that The Rakes deserve better. No, terrible bands. (laughs) This is like the definition of landfill. Uh, This is also where a hard fight get a mention in the write-up, but they're not actually in the list, which is bizarre. I find that absolutely, utterly yeah. bizarre. That hard if I escaped this one. Like, what the <laughs> hell? Uh, number eight, heavy hitter, a controversial take here. A trolling pick, perhaps? Mardi Bum by Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of of that genre in terms of the guitars and subject matter, but a cut above, I guess. And obviously they, they outgrew it straight away. Do you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, a trolling pick, I think. Number seven, the aforementioned critique of this kind of thing, Hey Seensters by The Cribs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Cribs' new album coming out soon. I'm very hyped. <laughs> Me too, yeah. Uh, number six, biggest band in Manchester. Manchester. The Cortinas. <laughs> and Not 19 Forever. A song it that drops. I think I know. Yeah, you do, <laughs> like, yeah. Does it go like, Not 19 Forever? Forever, or- yeah. <laughs> Nailed it, mate. Okay, I'm actually, I'm genuinely guessing. It's uh, so weird, five. isn't it? Like, go on, no, no, go, on gonna, go on, go on, go on. It's just like Manchester has such an incredible heritage of like 
not just great acts, but kind of inventive and boundary pushing acts that somehow made it big. And then you have like Cortinas being the current indie bands that fucking sell out stadiums there, I guess. It's so odd. Number five, a band I don't know, Larrikin Love and Six Queens. Another one where it's like I saw the name everywhere. And by everywhere, I mean like in the enemy in 2007. Um, but not nah, never listened to them. Uh, number four, The Kooks and Naive. Terrible song. Hate that song. Eddie's going with <laughs> one song of theirs I can stand. Hate them. He seems like he's up himself. Dated Katie Melua for a while, I believe, which Simon Amstel took the piss out of him about. <laughs> it's one of the great interviews. If you've yeah. never seen, just go onto YouTube and Google Simon Amstel the Kooks. It's phenomenal. Uh, number three, Razorlight with Don't Go Back to the Lads. <laughs> that first album wasn't Landfill, in fairness. They were no, they were signed because they were mates of the Libertines, so they filled the cr- criteria. But the first album's pretty good. Somewhere you know else is I mean? on like, this list, way back down. Like, and I'm like, come on, somewhere else is a fucking classic. How dare you? Uh, yeah. Okay. Number two, Baby Shambles. Fuck forever. Yeah, I think there's a few Baby Shambles entries, and again, the write up is like, yeah, this is a great song. I- I mean, Pete Doherty was already established because the Libertines, who then inspired, like, I don't really know how this is. Baby Shambles were inspired by the Libertines because the main guy in the band was in the band. I don't know. It doesn't really count for me either. Okay, and at number one, an obvious choice, probably the only one that you could have here, and probably the worst song ever recorded, Chelsea Dagger by the Fratellis. Yeah, I remember interviewing the Fratellis at Independence. <laughs> Public I remember interview. watching that interview. I was there. There's very little to talk about, but we obviously talked about Chelsea Dagger like taking on a life of his own because it seemed to be vying at one stage um, with Seven Nation Army as like the, the big new fucking terrorist chant anthem. And I think we decided, myself and Lee Singer, that at least it was um, an alternative to Gary Glitter. It's <laughs> the best thing about it. It wasn't Rock and Roll wow. Part 2. Uh, <laughs> Silver lining. I think we can agree Jesus. on it. <laughs> Well, I mean, it is. you mentioned there, like, you know, it has that football terrace charm to it. And you couldn't go to a fucking festival from 2008 onwards without having a bunch of bucket-headed Neanderthal pricks coming around, you know, like, roaring That's it the all main hours. problem with, with this genre, isn't it? That it kind of, it was the problem Kurt Cobain had with all of his fans when, you know, grunge went mainstream. It's, you just, you know, you get a lot of... Uh, Fairweather fans that are kind of pricks, don't really like music, but they'll wear the fucking straw hat and the skinny jeans and just be in on it. Like, it was, there was a lot of that that just kind of tarnished the whole thing. But there was no Jolene and the Jing Jang Jong on this list, I don't think. Was there? I don't think so. Did they ever they actually were the release any music? <laughs> they released a couple of singles. I was under, I saw a thing, uh, Steve McNeese, who I used to work with, um, colleague of mine, former colleague of mine, he, he said, friends, I think I found it. The last sentence of this paragraph is perhaps the best sentence on Wikipedia. It's Jolene and the Jing Jang Jong's Wikipedia entry, right? And it talks about them being an indie band um, based in London. Uh, although the band attracted considerable press attention following the 2007 release of their debut single, Lucio Starts Fires, went back to that. It's a terrible song. They failed to capitalise on this and disbanded in 2010. <laughs> and then the sentence is, the band are perhaps best known for failing to ever release their critically acclaimed debut album. <laughs> because actually the album was apparently sent around to like the enemy and like loads of magazines. And the enemy gave it like, this is a fucking classic. And then the band were like, it's not really representative of our sound. And like said, you're not releasing this. And then they promptly broke up. <laughs> like, 
Incredible. Devastating. Absolutely devastating. Um, I think Maximo Park from um, Paul Smith responded to this list as well on Twitter and just said, for the record, I would never defend Morrissey's racist tendencies at parties. And then someone else replied to him was like, oh, you don't belong on this list. And he goes, I know. Good grief. <laughs> I feel like everyone on this list thinks they don't belong on this list. <laughs> but I also think that by being on this list, they're all going to get like a, a big fat paycheck from Spotify at the end of the month to get a few quid in their pocket. Maybe. Yeah, totally. It, did, I mean, I stuck on a fucking Jolene and the Jing Jang Jong song, so God's sake. They also ruled out like the Subway straight away because they were like, oh, they're more like Garage Rock. And I'm like, no, the Subways belong on this list for sure. Plus that guy from the Subways would have gone crazy on Twitter. He often gives out about these things. But listen, the point is... They left off like the Ting Tings and stuff that definitely belong there as well. They called the Ting Tings innovative. And I'm like, get the (laughs) fucking boat. Anyway, look, having interviewed interviewed the dude in the Ting Tings, he will be delighted with that. (laughs) Fucking indoor glass, sunglasses wearing jump. (laughs) Right, look, proof positive that we could talk about this list all day, but we won't. All I'm trying to say is, Craig, and I've been trying to say it now with any of the aforementioned acts that we've listed, because it all applies, you wouldn't get it at a Van Morrison gig, would you? (laughs) You certainly would not. Um, Yeah, and Van is very eager to get back to the way things were. He's been criticising the, and, you know, um, emphasis on the quote-unquote here, pseudoscience of socially distanced gigs. Um, so yeah, he's been announced to play a bunch of these kind of gigs, uh, across the next month. Who knows if they'll go ahead. Um, there's two socially distant shows happening with reduced limited capacity at Camden, um, in September. Then he's going to do Newcastle and stuff, but he's, he's aggrieved essentially. And he's saying himself and Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber appear to be the only people in the music business trying to get it back up and running again. Uh, Gavin James won't be happy with that. Yeah. Neither will neither will the country of Germany, where they spent almost a million euro trialing socially distant gigs and doing all kinds of public experiments, which you know hopefully will, n- will not lead to any further problems. Well, but yeah. Like, what kind what kind of a bubble do you live in, mate? I'm the only one out there, Van Morrison, trying to open up the fucking workmen's. Like, what are you talking about? And if there's you know if there's one thing we've learned from history, it's um, you do not want to anger the country of Germany because that doesn't often go well. He's he's in a weird bubble for like the last, what, 50 years, I guess. Like he is grand age this stage. It's kind of understandable that he doesn't quite follow what's going on a bit. And also he's, you know, got the sheltered life of being a veteran rock star. On top of that, he is like a noted curmudgeon, to put it charitably. Seems like he doesn't like people in general. I, I'm shocked that he wants more people to come to his gigs. I think like he seems suited for this don't come near me, don't talk to me, uh, don't approach me thing. Because like it's, it's uh, Van Morrison. Definitely a case of having to s- separate the genius music from the, as I say, curmudgeon. Is he on the list of uh, Spotify's most streamed songs of the summer? Which, by the way, I haven't actually looked He is looked actually, at. yeah. <laughs> yeah, Brown Eyed Girl is... Uh, no, he's not. Because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't looked at it. So I was thinking we could play a fun game here. You can like dazzle me with some songs and I'll, I'll let you know if I've actually heard of them because okay. I've definitely gone to that stage in my life where the charts are all kind of scary and who are all the young folk listening yeah, to? Yeah, yeah. So, in fairness, um, that wasn't like... That was fair of you to kind of assume that he could be because didn't we have Phil Collins like re appearing at the top of charts recently just because like there was a reaction video done from two guys um so yeah like there's we're living in a crazy world van morrison could get a, a viral bump and not covid by the way <laughs> like a reaction video or something and be back up there okay so the top the most streamed songs of the summer let's go with the u.s list i guess and i'm gonna go from 10 down say right see if you know these okay. ones right 
Okay. Um, Dance Monkey by Tones and I. One of the worst songs ever made. And I, I believe uh, Joe, when I was with Joe, I put it in my like worst songs of the year last year. So it's still fucking yeah. going. Still Ugh. going. Terrible. Uh, Breaking Me by Topic A7S. Nope. Never heard of anything there. Never heard of it either. <laughs> Number eight, an old friend of ours, Drake, with his 2C slide, a TikTok sensation. Yeah, somehow it passed me by. Oh man, you're not missing out. Um, number seven, Rain On Me by the returning Ariana Grande Lady Gaga. And Lady Gaga? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Off the album that like once again just came out and no one talked about it ever again. Yeah, like it was an album that was, you know, kind of custom built for clubs and going out and meeting friends and having a summer of it. So it's, yeah, it's probably why this list is so weird because it hasn't felt like a summer of music or, you know, anything really. Um, okay, so Deathbed, um, parentheses, Coffee for Your Head by Pau Fu. Nope, any, nothing. Ring any bells? No, nothing. You could be making that up and I wouldn't, wouldn't know the difference. All right, top five. Um, watermelon Sugar. Harry Styles? Boy, Harry Styles, yeah, very, very good. Um, right, not a bad yeah, song, yeah. actually. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's a good song. Um, Savage Love, Prince's oh, uh, last siren beat. Yeah, I, I've heard of it, but I don't. I couldn't. I couldn't hum it for you, like the Cortinas, for, for for example. <laughs> well, they are massive in Manchester. Jason Derulo and Josh six eight five apparently. Roses, you might know this one. I prefer Jason Derulo's screen work, such as the motion picture Cats. <laughs> Number three, Roses. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, remix. No, what is this? This is St. John. We chatted about it when we um, tried to review the fucking Now compilation album. And it's actually, it's quite a good remix. It's, it's an interesting song. I'm glad it's there. It's one of those ones with a story where it's like, it kind of came out of nowhere. It was released two years ago. Got a weird remix. I, I like the story behind it. It feels like an old-fashioned hit. Like Legit forgot that we reviewed the Now album, by the way. This is how <laughs> zoned out I actually am when it comes to the charts. All right, well, here's your top two. You're going to know these. Blinding Lights. Right. Oh, it's The weekend. Yes, yes. Still blinded I would have thought lights. that was number one. That's been it's the only one that I've heard consistently. Yeah, so it's still number good. I still you, like it. Would you have a guess at number one? Uh, is it obvious? Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I know of it. I knew it was a big hit. I do not like it. Um, Did Sonic Architect Adam guess it there in the chat? Is he correct? He is correct about the feature. Okay, not I the main artist. Is. No, go on, tell it's me. The baby featuring Roddy Rich and it's Rockstar. I can't um, look at I can't look at the baby's name without like reverting to my Drada accent, you know, and just being like the baby. <laughs> You've got the baby and Lil Baby being two of the biggest hip hop artists in the world right now. It's bizarre. Fantastic. Um Roddy Rich who I do love. The Box is a sensational song. Obviously released a long time ago so it didn't and it's not really a summary song, but yeah, that is one of my my chart tunes of the year. Uh, so fair play to Roddy Rich, but the baby. Nice not work. Doing it for me. I, I enjoyed that. That was pretty good. Let's talk about the weekend. So yeah, I mean, like I guess it's one of those weird things, right? The weekend has apologized for past misogynist lyrics, but like this has been coming, right? I mean, like surely, like this has happened before. It'll keep happening. There's an awful lot of 
ammunition, I suppose, you could throw at him. Uh, Soak, for example, who uh, we've interviewed in the show and big fan yeah. of, she went after him for a song he did with uh, Gisafelstein, I believe, uh, which was very, very questionable in its lyrical intent. Uh, the weekend has always skirted the line here, I think, in terms of, you know, moody, grim, sexual... Uh, congress i guess and you know nice. you know he paints himself paints himself as a bit of a villain but now it looks like he's going to try and turn babyface what what what's all this about craig why now yeah there's obviously been tons of criticism but he seemed quite teflon up until this point um i guess the culture of the music he's coming from the fact that that like murkiness and um you know mixed morals was part of the early appeal uh, he sat down with Esquire uh, for an interview. There was reference made to some of the kind of quest for lines in uh, The Hills, otherwise great song, 2015. And he was asked whether such language was a true reflection of himself. Um, and Tesfaye said, it's definitely a character delivering the lyrics. So to quote him, he says, when you hear some of the drastic stuff, you can tell... I mean, that's why it's tricky, because it is me singing the words, it is my writing... It's like you want people to feel a certain way. You want them to feel angry. You want them to feel sad. You want them to feel. It's never like my intent to offend anybody. I'm a writer. Sometimes I write a song and it's not in my head. I'm writing it for someone else. But then I end up singing it. He goes on to kind of expand on that and say he'd love to write a whole album for a female artist. Um, Semi-apology? I don't know. It's kind of like, oh yeah, of course, if you've got a problem with any lines, it's just a character. It's kind of covering his, his back a little, isn't it? Yeah, but this wouldn't be the first time that he's deployed the idea of The weekend as a character. And listen, I'm all for poetic license. I don't agree that if somebody has a character in a film that the writer themselves are necessarily a full reflection of that person. But then again, you do pour a lot of yourself into your work, whether you use it as some kind of fantastical escape and, you know, you go somewhere else with it entirely. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't think that The weekend should be cancelled necessarily. I'm more concerned about his music just getting a bit homogenous and generic the more it goes on. But it is interesting, I suppose, yeah, because like, he's had big hits. Obviously, um, Can't Feel My Face was massive, but it appears that Blinding Lights is even bigger. And as a result, has just propelled him even further up the kind of music industry stratosphere. Maybe he has to be more mindful of these things now. It's an interesting juxtaposition of where he came from, which, of course, is a big problem for a lot of fans. I do think his best work is found on Trilogy, for sure. Um, yeah. But if you want to be the biggest pop star in the world, you're going to have to, you know, be this clean cut figure, maybe, which, you know, if the foundations are already rotting from the inside, Craig, I just don't know. I just don't to, know. To, yeah, I mean, to an extent, um, you could maybe look to the likes of Drake as well, uh, his fellow Canadian, also massive, um, who gets away with a lot. I mean, they're steeped in, I know, I know The weekend is more R&B, but it's, it is like the hip hop culture where a lot of the time still that stuff just gets an immediate pass. Um, there's a different kind of set of rules around what can be said. Again, kind of a blurring of what's fiction, what's just kind of interesting storytelling. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know, it remains to be seen how he's, why exactly he's now trying to retrofit some explanation around it. Speaking of retrofitting explanations, Dave, Keanu Reeves has been talking about the forthcoming Bill and Ted sequel. Yeah, man, Bill and Ted Face the Music, which lands in the US on VOD. I think it might be in select theatres as well. Pretty much, I think, the day of this podcast dropping. Does not do the same over here for another month, I don't think. I think it's the end of September we'll get the chance to watch it, whether in a theatre, like I did with Christopher Nolan's Tenet this week, or whether um, you watch it digitally. 
don't worry, it will also, of course, be the subject of a future episode of No Popcorn. But yeah, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, the real-life counterparts to the rock and roll duo, have been doing the media rounds. They're on Colbert and different places. And Keanu Reeves has said he wants to make something very clear. Bill and Ted are not stoners. I mean, was that what? ever really up for debate? Yeah, I mean, like, like who knew? I, I thought they were just meant to be kind of boneheaded, but they've definitely... Like, like what, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> Inhaled. <laughs> what is this retconning? Yeah, not... Bill and Ted did not inhale. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, I don't know. Written down, it seems one way, but I think he's kind of being, he's kind of being playful with it. He's having a little fun with it. He says they just have a nice outlook on life. They like people and their friendship, which can be side effects <laughs> of um, a little smoky smoky. Are you hyped this, for though. the? Yeah, go on. I, I, I I'm hyped. I, I'm glad that it exists. I've seen the trailer now a couple of times, and the trailer isn't doing once. much for me. Yeah, no. I didn't laugh once in the trailer, which which is a really really bad sign. I'm happy it exists. I'm happy they're back together. I'm very happy for Alex Winter, who has presumably yeah. been waiting for this day for a very long time. And they're, you know, they're they have a cute friendship. I will say this though, Greg. I went back and I watched the first one there a little while ago, and I must say I was very unhappy and unimpressed when. Uh, there's a scene where the two lads like hug each other and then they both like realize what they're doing. Oh and, no. And then they drop the F bomb. And I was like, Keanu, oh, no. really? Oh yeah, it's there. It's fucking there. Uh, and it's just like, oh no. Lads, I know it was like 1989 or whatever, but like, Jesus, no. Not my Bill and Ted. So yeah. hopefully that won't uh, be happening in this new one. I do love a bit of Bill and Ted. I was always more of a Wayne's World guy, I must say. Okay. I mean, is that allowed? That's, that's allowed. So that's ab- that's absolutely fair. Let's talk about let's let's keep it to contemporary films, though, Craig. Yes. Because before we before we jump into our album review section, it should be noted that there was a massive uh, well, there's lots of big trailers uh, associated with the DC universe dropped last week. But the one that's been on everyone's mind is, of course, the Batman starring Robert Pattinson. But most importantly, Craig, it's the union that we've all been waiting for. It's the <laughs> Batman and Nirvana. Hit the music. From your secret friend. Underneath the bridge. Who? Top has sprung a leak. And the animals have trapped. Having a clue. Ball become my pet. Let's play a game. Just me and you. Any of this mean anything to you? Great song choice, to be fair, says Sonic Architect Adam. That is Something in the Way by Nirvana, spliced with a bit of a movie magic, I suppose, in the midpoint of the Batman trailer. I thought the trailer was fucking awesome, Craig. I've watched it numerous times. It's Batman, but dark. Uh, what? <laughs> Batman, but dark? <laughs> what will they come up with next? I mean, yeah, obviously great song. I saw the trailer and I, I think it's just me. I just feel like I'm done with... DC stuff being constantly rebooted and like I don't need this origin story being told again I don't know if that's what the plot is going to consist of but like it just feels like it's taking it to the fucking oh yeah we have to go grunge now because like there's you know what would well, Kurt I think say it's, <laughs> what I, think it's Kurt in the, I think it's set in the 90s also oh, fine. um 
Yeah, there you go. The Bruce Wayne's <laughs> big Nirvana head. Fla- yeah, yeah, he's going to wear some flannel. His hair is a bit fucking unkempt, I'll tell you that much. Um, it's set, I believe, in like Batman, in the second year of him being Batman. So no, no, no. Yeah. We're not... I, I, I haven't seen the, the script, Craig, so I don't know if we're going to see They'll crowbar in a fucking yet again. But I don't Jetsy. think they're going to. Look, all, all I'm saying is a big Robert Pattinson fan, big Paul Dano fan, and he's playing the Riddler. Yes, which he's a good choice. He looks, he could be cool. And you know Colin it'll be Farrell in his contract. as well in prosthetics. As the, Colin Farrell um, as the Penguin, yeah. Penguin, you, you know, yeah. Yeah, you know Paul Dano's going to get the shit kicked out of him because it's in the contract for every film he does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, the, it's a really good trailer, and they've only like shot twenty five percent of the film as well. So, I my prediction yeah, the, is this though: I, I want this on yeah, record. Go ahead. Col, Colin Farrell's Penguin will be in the opening scene of the film, and then he will not be seen again. That's my prediction. That's a fair shout. Yeah, no, it's a good trailer. I think I'm just I don't I'm I'm you know I don't need Batman for a while. I think I think despite the trailer rather because of it. Okay, I will say because you know we have a stacked podcast, and I don't want to spend too much time in the world of cinema because we'll be doing that later anyway. Uh, Tenet is a horrendously bad film, and if you want to read my full spoiler-heavy review, go on to Twitter at handreadydave or my letterboxed no underscore encore. It's terrible. I really hope I don't get COVID nineteen from going to the cinema to see it because it sucks. But listen, Craig. Uh, like you know i don't possess the power of clairvoyance you know thus i don't know what the weather is like where you're listening to this dear listener if it's like what it's like right now as i'm recording which is to say rainy and gray and grim and abject perhaps it's time to light the fire and listen to an old yarn yeah once upon a time Fireside is the Irish storytelling podcast. Every week we breathe new life into old stories from folklore and mythology, from the mysterious landing of the old Celtic gods to the epic wars fought by Cúchulainn and Queen Maeve, right down to the petty squabbles between headstrong mortals and roguish fairies. We already have a huge collection available with a new episode every Wednesday. This is not just a podcast for folklore fiends, but for anyone who enjoys a good story. And who doesn't love a good story? My name is Kevin C. Olan, and I am your host and your fireside bard. Wherever you are in the world, you can always join me by the fireside. Joining us for this one is Dublin-based Italian-powered singer-songwriter of myth and legend Carlo Malocco, whose calendar album from last year might actually prove even more powerful company in these cold, cold days than the Fireside podcast. I won't make any firm guarantees. You'll need to just go and listen to it yourself. So go and do that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Wait, hang on, no, no. Wonderful, wonderful was the name of the last Killers record. Craig missed that. Hey, hey. (laughs) Craig missed out on that one (laughs) through misadventure, but he's here now, as you can hear, and in rich, full voice. It's a weekend podcast I slept in. (laughs) All right. (laughs) As is Carlo, himself a devoted Killers disciple. So hit that music, Sonic Architect Adam, and let's commence imploding the mirage.
Yes, that was in fact the war on drugs. No, sorry, it was the killers <laughs> with my hey. own soul's warning. Craig, who are these Las Vegas roustabouts and why should we care six albums in? Yeah, well, the killers are probably um, the best um, rock and roll band Vegas has ever produced. With apologies to Panic at the Disco, maybe? Are they the only other ones? I don't know. Uh, sorry, Brendan. Um, Brandon Flowers is our maybe chief hero with the killers. He's uh, a Mormon who's also like a matinee idol who uh, got hooked on the Strokes and Pet Shop Boys simultaneously when he was working as like a teenage bellboy in hotels and casinos in Vegas. Uh, the Strokes inspired him and his bandmates, um, Mark Sturmer and Ronnie Van Venucci Jr. to kind of junk all their early songs around about 2001, 2002, except for, I think, Mr. Brightside and start again with that as the bar. <laughs> and it kind of worked for them because they produced a bunch of synth pop gems. Since then, they've kind of flittered between trying to be Bruce on Samstown and like Duran Duran on Day and Age. Um, with the aim, I think, ultimately for Brandon of somehow ending up as like the next U2. Um, and like U2, they've never been totally hip um, or hugely critically adored. Maybe a bit unfair on U2. Um, always kind of slightly too square and mainstream for some. Carla will argue with me on this in a minute. <laughs> but um, it did seem like, you know, prior to maybe Wonderful Wonderful, they were in danger of becoming a bit redundant for the music press. But in terms of like shifting tickets, uh, doing arenas and stadiums uh, when, you know, bands can do that kind of thing. One of the only, you know, quote unquote, indie games in town, I think, um, as Brandon Flower sings on Dying Breed on this album. If you're looking for strong and steady, I think the killers are a good shout. Um, I did think Wonderful Wonderful saw them taking some risks kind of sonically, lyrically. Uh, Flowers was dealing with like his wife's tough upbringing, PTSD, and it was... He got quite in-depth. There was a lot of self-awareness and like observational wit as well on the likes of the man. Um, so yeah, it seemed like they were, you know, that plucky fighter gone through a lot of rounds, finding a second wins. I think we're hopeful for like the next album. Have they continued that trend with imploding their mirage, guys? Well, I mean, I think it's interesting to kind of drill down into the influences which are all over this record i mean like on a, mm. on a cursory listen you're going to hear the war on drugs you're going to hear the gaslight anthem you're going to hear noi you're going to hear passion pitch you're going to hear bruce springsteen you're going to hear talking heads and you're absolutely going to hear the 1980s as a whole i would say now is that good is that bad we can talk about that in a moment carlo the crux of why we asked you on this week was because i said to craig it might be interesting to get on somebody who has more of a i guess personal connection to the killers um and would kind of because I, I think you've often kind of made the argument that at least, you know, when we've hung out together or perhaps, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just imagining this. Maybe it's a mirage all of its own. But I wonder if you would make the argument or, or of the volition that the Killers don't quite get the respect they deserve, which is an interesting argument because they're fucking huge. They're one of the biggest bands going. Yeah. They continue to sell out massive arenas and command a huge fan base. But are they a bit kind of maligned? Is it like, is it fair? Well, like, like, where are they for you in the, in the pantheon, I suppose, of rock acts? Um... I think yeah, I think they do get a little bit of a bum deal sometimes critically. I don't I don't really understand it. Um it's probably a double-edged sword of being that popular when when a band hits that big and then doesn't decide to kind of it, it doesn't decide to kind of stick. Like I know a lot of people that were massive massive fans of Hot Fuss and then heard Sam's Town and went, "No, this isn't this isn't for me." This isn't cool. I'm I'm out. Um, and then similar things with day and age um, uh, uh, as well. And to me, it's always been what 
attracted me to them as a band. Like I remember when all the hype of something like Hot Fuss came out, you know, it's a brilliant album. I loved it. Um, but for me, what really kind of caused me to 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 be completely enamored with them was Samstown when most of my friends were kind of getting off uh, off the train at that point. And I love the fact that it wasn't, you know, they they could have stuck with this very um, kind of jangly rock indie sound that they had almost come out the gates uh, fully formed with. Um, weirdly similar to something like, if you go back and listen to something like Greetings from Ashbury Park, you kind of it kind of double take it at sometimes and go did that band did like did did that did that just come out as your first record like did you guys come out that fully formed i think it had a similar kind of trajectory like that where instantly you know what the killer sound like and it's massive um but i liked that they went all springsteeny as you said that they 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 went all country and western and that they've never kind of settled on releasing the kind of records that kind of people wanted them to i think i think they've always kind of pushed themselves to to go off in a direction and they're very um they're very honest with their influences which i really appreciate i i I thought the glastonbury performance was a great example because they had this opportunity where they're headlining and you know the whole world eyes is on them you you look at a band like that and you might assume oh they're just gonna revel in this as you know the biggest band in the world or whatever and instead they play a song that is clearly for them influenced by the Pet Shop Boys and then bring the Pet Shop Boys out so everybody who's in the crowd that doesn't know that gets to go this is where we got that from and then they play a song that kind of sounds like Johnny Marr and they bring Johnny Marr out and go this is where this comes from I think there's an incredible um, community in how they write music I think they're they're a very unguarded band with what they love and as a human basket case I really appreciate that so it, it's just <laughs> it's just something I've always enjoyed but I don't I I think uh this this is this is going to sound ridiculous but sure I'm going to go with it anyway um I think they have a problem in a similar issue that uh someone like Chris Cornell had where when your front man is a very striking movie star looking guy who appears sometimes it's kind of the the craft of his songwriting and his lyrics can be overlooked as just oh well that's the good looking front man in the band that that has that champion sports song or song and i i personally think like i think lyrically he's extremely interesting i think he 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 goes into some very um um uh, oblique territory for a rock singer you know it's it's um it could be the mormon you know <laughs> but um i think i think that gives uh it's the mormon <laughs> it could be the mormon but it gives it gives a flavor to their music that i don't think other um other bands have and i think to be a great band you have to have that kind of unique turn even if their their influences are are there it's always them if if you know what i mean well, I mean, are they are they a victim of their own success? I don't necessarily 
believe what I'm about to even say, but it popped into my head. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Are they are they the American Coldplay? Does that make any sense to anybody? Is that a thing? Is there a sense of For like... For sure does. Yeah, I mean, like... like, like, are, are, like I think they're a bit... It's the hard on the sleeve thing, isn't mm. it? And I think, like, as Carlos says, you know, when they are so open about their influences and just earnest in general, a lot of kind of music heads will be like, eh... That almost, you know, makes you item with suspicion. Is that kind of where you're going, Dave? Yeah, why not? You, you dug me out of that one there pretty, <laughs> pretty well. But I, I guess what I'm getting at is, I think somewhere along the way, if it ever was, somewhere along the way it became not cool to like the killers. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think from the get-go they were always slightly outside what was happening. Like if you read that um, Meet Me in the Bathroom book about the the kind of the new rock revolution around the start of the 2000s. When the killers arrive, they're, you know, they're not really big drinkers. They're kind of, they're not taking lots of drugs. Uh, so they're not that cool, I guess. <laughs> but also Brandon Flowers is clearly just a nice boy that's like ambitious and wants to have a career. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and so like, he's kind of at odds with a lot of the bands just in terms so he's of a, he's a, he's uh, a Surprise, career, surprise, that's what, good for your career saying, in really, the yeah. long run. <laughs> But I, I don't think from a cynical, like, I want to make money point of view, I think he wanted to become one of his heroes. Do you know what I mean? Right. I think when he brings out a Johnny Marr, he's looking for acceptance. Maybe they feel a bit too needy, like a kind of Chris Martin style thing. Maybe he's not playing that role enough of like the rock star who doesn't care. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think you could never, um, you could never say that he seemed like he didn't care. Like there's a real effort put into everything they do. Um, which especially comes across when they're playing live. Like I, <laughs> I sometimes think of them. They're they're so they're, they're such a machine on stage. Um, it's 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 a dream to see. It reminds you of um, uh, like a a sanitized version of the Bad Seeds or something, where you just go, oh fuck, this is this is a this is a performance. Like you'll see them step on stage and there'll be cues like the bands from the 50s and 60s you know like the show bands from Vegas of the 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 time where you know there'll be clear cues of how he moves that sets off the backing singers to say a particular thing that sets off a firework that sets off whatever and it's um it's 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 really it's really something to see it's it's um the effort is put into everything that they do um, and I think that comes across with the records as well. Uh, I think if he wanted, because he wants to be like all these different artists and he seems to have a very broad taste in what he likes, uh, it probably um, it probably makes sense that they've kind of um, they've kind of synthesized a lot of sounds now and I think almost weaponized them on this record. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, I, I'm happy for this to be a general discussion of the band because I think they're at that stage of their career that ties into this record review. Carlo, uh, as our kind of own personal killer superfan case study, uh, I guess <laughs> and there is one other question I have for you before we, before we talk Let's about the album. dissect them. <laughs> but first of all, um, on an emotional level, what do the killers mean to you? Because again, I do feel like from stuff you tell me about going to see them live and so on, and I, I know that they mean a lot to you. And I think the interesting thing is like, they don't mean a lot to me. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I just, I've never quite mm. got that next level with them. And I think that they're a band that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily readily admit that, that that's the level that they can go to. So for you, I mean, like you've had some kind of moments with them over the years, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the f- first, first and kind of foremost with them, the, one of the big connections with me is like, they're like, I'm a fan of them, but my wife is 
a super fan of them. She adores them. They're anything they do. We this year um, when they were meant to be playing, I think two or three days in a row, she'd gotten tickets to all of them um, and had taken the week off work, and that was what was going to happen that week. <laughs> so like, I always love when they bring out a record that I love because I don't have to get divorced from my wife, which personally is a lovely <laughs> feeling to have. Um, but um, no, they've just... So you're saying you're compromised <laughs> and you shouldn't really be on this section. <laughs> no, but but there, there, there's, there's something about how mo- most of the music I listen to, a hell of a lot of the music I listen to is very dark and very sad. And there is something so... Um, kind of empowering with them just for me on an emotional level to have this band that seems to be just always striving to be kind of hopeful to be for for you know it's all it's all cars in the desert and um you know fireworks <laughs> and and there's something i think there's a real space for that in music and i think that it's a kind of songwriting that might be thought of as lesser sometimes. It's not quite as cool. It's not quite as um, uh, provocative to a lot of people as the kind of um, more introspective frontman. But to me, it's been it's been huge. I, I suffer a lot from anxiety and I've I've a lot of trouble in crowds um I I I sometimes will have situations where I just at the last minute I can't go to something um and a couple of years back uh I really really wanted to go to their gig in I think it was in the RDS and I I found it exceptionally difficult and I was trying everything I could do to get myself kind of built up for it and when I managed to get get there and 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 be a part of it to see then this just rapturous performance, um, it was genuinely very moving. And and from that point on, uh, they have always had a special kind of emotional hit for me. But are you willing to confront mm-hmm. Craig right now with the contention that you told me a couple of weeks ago, which <laughs> oh, was yeah. that in your in your in your oh in, we're not going there. <laughs> you said that Go on. The, the Killers' Christmas songs are better than The Strokes' regular songs. That's a hell of a fucking plan. <laughs> what I was saying was, I didn't... What I said was, I believe that The Killers have more 10 out of 10 songs purely about Christmas than most bands have, period. And I think... I, I, <laughs> most bands are a particular band well, no, from um, New York City. <laughs> no, I... I, 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 I that Brandon Flowers <laughs> himself has ha- said were a huge influence. No, I, 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 I sometimes think... Um, I think <laughs> this is probably going to sound like a strange comparison, but um, a friend of mine is always making the joke about the fact how uh, Andre 3000 can come on a track and do one verse every six years and everybody's like that guy, that guy is the greatest rapper in the world. Whereas Big Boy is yeah, bouncing yeah, yeah. out hit after hit and 10 out of 10 records and everybody's like, I'd love a bit more Andre though. And I think I get sometimes, I feel sometimes a bit like that with the Strokes because they have, <laughs> the, like, I'm like, lads, please give me more than two great records. Like they're 10 out of 10 records, but um, uh, I, I, I sometimes feel like having to stick up for, for the killers because of the sheer volume of great things I think they've done that they get no 
uh, equal footing on whenever people talk about well, bands of that time. Is is album number six one of those things, Craig? Um, the big boys' latest effort. <laughs> I think it is. I think they've talked a lot about um, getting experimental in the production of this, which I think is kind of just killer's talk for messing around with slightly different synths. Mm-hmm. They've worked with Sean Everett, uh, John Toretto um, from Foxygen. Um, and, you know, Ronnie Venucci was saying, we felt like uncomfortable in a really special way. They were messing around with kind of leaning back on some of the synthesizer stuff, I think. And I don't know, it feels like a contradiction in terms of Genesis because they went to Utah, like it's Utah, to do the <laughs> album. Um, Adam from War on Drugs was there, of course. You can hear that quite mm. quite um, explicitly at times. But I think actually with the bravest thing they've done um, on this album is be the most killers they can be <laughs> and maybe give people what they expect. Um, but also that's no bad thing because it's kind of what they're comfortable doing and it's what they want to do. So it's unabashed courses. It's, you know, as Carlo alluded to earlier, it's the hope and faith in like, you know, I guess particularly old American ideals and, you know, with some slightly urbane, you know, European influences swirled in there into the Stetsons. <laughs> um, it's all very killers. Um, but I think it works. I think it works um, because the courses are so strong, because they've just leaned into their kind of like, we're delivering catchy, you know, Cars-esque, melodically strong songs. And, you know, from the album title, which I know is like about, you know, imploding the actual Mirage Hotel and Resort, which I think is reopened today. So happy Mirage Day, guys. But it's about like, you know, building up, you know, demolishing something to build something even better, Um, which is maybe what they were going for here. But like by the same token, what's being rebuilt is just another kind of mega resort. It's not like a, you know, university or public park. They're not socialists. They're not reinventing a wheel. It's all kind of gleaming surfaces. And, you know, it's like the, the album title sounds like a ridiculous kind of nonsense phrase that, you know, lots of kind of uh, massive platinum selling US rock bands would have used for their albums in years gone by. And that's no bad thing because it works. It feels right. And I think this hit me at the right time because I could have, like, I really could do with some escapism. <laughs> and I can do with, like, Brandon, you know, singing about dreams worth chasing, man. And all it takes is, like, hitting an open highway and, you know, not worrying about, like, county borders or fucking former EU commissioners running into you. Or <laughs> it's kind of broad brush strokes rock, but. The kind of galloping rhythm sections work for me, you know, veering between, you know, Stallion and Cadillac. It's all lyrics about going straight from zero to the 4th of July. Uh, Pure heartland rock. And I think they catch it at a really good time for music where a lot of that like 80s kind of soft production that used to be slagged like a long, you know, a few years ago is very in vogue now with the likes of A Waste Blood who pops up here and does a remarkable job. I think their moment has come where they've gone, okay, we tried like 70s Springsteen with Samstown. We also like kind of synth stuff. How about we go for like our kind of gritty 60s, 70s rock heroes when they're in the 80s with that kind of, you know, luxurious sound and synth stuff and like, will that work? And yeah, it totally works for the moment, I think. Dave, did it work for you? The Killers, not Socialist. Thank you, Craig. Uh, did this work for me? Yeah, I guess so. Um, certainly on the surface level. Pretty much agree with all the bells and whistles thing that you were saying. My problem with The Killers has always been finding that extra emotional level, as I alluded to earlier on, and I didn't quite get it on this one. I'm happy for them to play dress-up, though, and have a good time, and that's what it is. Carlo, am I doing them a disservice? Is there more to this album than maybe I took from it? Like, is this actually... Because Craig mentioned he was like, you know, this is their moment to do an album like this. Is that how... Is that fair enough? I mean, like, I guess Wonderful Wonderful... 
it had like a couple of really good singles on it. Like this isn't mm. like they've you know disappeared into some kind of you know non radio friendly stratosphere or anything. But this one does feel a bit more aggressive on the pop front. I thought. Yeah, like I I, I really liked Wonderful Wonderful, but it's not. Um, it has moments on it, bits of fat. You know, um, it has parts of it that that I would drop out. Um, although I think it has some of their best songs, I don't think Wonderful Wonderful coming out now would be what people would want. I think, as Craig mentioned earlier, there's something so palatable about something as hopeful as this right now. And I, I think that's really working uh, working for them. I, I, think, uh, um, I think it's very funny that they've brought out this 10-track um, record after Dave Kuning kind of said, listen, lads, I need to go and prismism or whatever the fuck that disaster was that he decided. <laughs> yeah, their guitarist, Dave Kuning. You know, listen, I, I, I don't think these guys really know where they're going. I'm going to show them they're nothing without me. And they come back and they go, all right. Now, Carlo, have you listened to his debut album, Prismism? Because it sounds promising. <laughs> I, 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 I have. I, I got into the prism. Uh, oh, okay. No, it, I, I couldn't. I couldn't get my head around it. Did you get the ism? No. See, no. I think that was the problem. Just you're not a prismist. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, what, what, what I think. Um, uh, I, I think this record's wonderful. I really do. I think. I think it's. Uh, I think it's one of the best for years. Um, I had a strange relationship with it when it came out because the first uh, I'd heard the singles off of quite a bit which I really liked um, and my first listen through I was like oh, I really like the singles and then there's about three songs on it I'm not really into and that's fine and then every every day I'd throw it on again the songs I didn't like I'd forget which ones they were and it's gotten to the point now where I can't remember which I didn't like at the start because they've all kind of <laughs> they've all kind of worked for me Um uh, one thing I, I I really like on this record is he, he like you know a lot of great songwriters write um, about uh, write in this kind of doubled religion speak you know you have your you have your Dylans and your Cohens and your um, your um, Nick Caves and that who can write a love song that could also be thought of as a song about God now I I. I think that's what he's really fitting into quite well. Um, I don't really want to hear someone just directly professing a religious song. It's 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 that kind of problem sometimes you have with chants or you have with someone where you're like, I really like the vibe on this, but I'm not... I, I, like, not that you need to know, not that you need to uh, agree with someone's um, philosophical outlook to appreciate their their music, but it can be a little heavy-handed if you're not particularly religious and someone is hammering it home. And I think he's managed to toe that line really brilliantly on this record. Um, there's There are all the references there, but they're almost kind of like tongue-in-cheek like or, or, or light enough that it doesn't have to... It doesn't beat you down with it, you know what I mean? Like saying that they're they're, you know, carved out of stained glass and stuff like that. Like they're little touches of of this sort of stuff that I think is is um, there is um there is a song called My God, which uh, I guess is marginally superior to the Corona <laughs> song with the same name about a hangover from no far many, better. It must be <laughs> many a year ago. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I guess that is interesting. I mean, like, uh, his religion doesn't really mean nothing to me. Like, I don't really care. I guess, like, has that been, like, a thing? Have, have people, like, really come for him because he's a Mormon? Like, like, has that been 
like a, a facet I think it's of the, the juxtaposition here, of, or? you know, being from Vegas, growing up in Vegas, which is already a kind of quite mm. strange thing, but then being quite straight-laced and religious and then getting into the whole rock and roll game, it just seems at odds. There's a lot of kind of of those aspects about him where, you know, he loves the kind of the Tom Petty's of this world, but then he'll have as his heroes, you know, Pet Shop Boys, Duran Duran. You know, it's it's that kind of interesting mix. And I don't know if it always translates to his writing for me. I sometimes think it's a bit too boilerplate, maybe. I don't know. I'll tell you one thing that I, I think the rest of the band are on fire as well on this record. Like, I don't want to just just mention him because like when I listened to Fire and Bone the first time all I could think about was like is this the bass riff that Superhands talks about in Peep Show where he's like I wrote a bass riff <laughs> that is just so good you just can't turn it off like because every time it kicks <laughs> off um, and I think your man um, the drummer Ronnie Venucci um, like if you listen to the parts where he explodes on tracks he's he's really um, he, he's a subtle drummer but like is similar to the say the guy from the national if he wasn't in the band i think they'd fall apart um i think you need those yeah. two elements all the time i think you need brandon and him and then you've got the band and i think they've kind of you know kooning's dropped off i don't think i don't think it suddenly doesn't sound like the killers um and i love the fact that they brought in uh some of these different guitar players i i was i was a little dubious at first because i really enjoyed the guitar player that they had on tour um, it was a guy called Ted Sable who, who um, just purely from watching him on stage, uh, he he's uh, he's incendiary to to go all uh, almost famous on this. He's fantastic, like, and um, I was like, oh, I wonder now that your man's gone, if 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 he's going to step in and and write more. And when I found out he wasn't, I I, I was a bit disappointed. But like the 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 guitar playing that they bring in on um, uh, um, on I think it's on caution that they have uh, your man from Fleetwood Mac is uh, is unreal. Yeah, and, Lindsay Buckingham. Yeah. And it, it, it's such a it's such a perfect little um, it, it's such a perfect little nod to their influences once again. Like it doesn't sound like a killer song. It's a Tom Petty song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen, you, sorry. Which so, is a good thing. I mean, we're not going to get any more of those. No, so if the killers can do the job. <laughs> Why not, Craig? What What happened? The Strokes already did it with American Girls and Last Night, so just oh. be, be careful where you... Okay, okay, I have, to, I have to step in here. This is going to get out of hand. Carla, put a, num- put, put, put a number on this one out of 10. What are you giving it? Um, giving it giving it a nine. I think it's great. Wow. All it. right, Craig. This is a complex one for me. <laughs> Beat that. Because, like, I do... I have enjoyed it. I think I needed it this week. But in my head, I'm kind of thinking it's, like, a ready-made soundtrack for, like, the Joe Biden campaign. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, like, it's like a compromised, like, approximation of past glories. It's, like, you're not going to get Bernie Sanders and the strokes <laughs> this time around. But, you know, you're going to get this thing. I'm going to give it a, a 7.5, verging on an 8. I think it's the best album they've they've done. Whoa, um, okay. I think it's the closest they've come to, like, delivering the perfect Killers album. And I think they match some of their influences at this point. Like, at this point, I think their catalogue is better than, say, The Cars. So well done, Brandon Flowers. You know, can't <laughs> win them all, but you're right up there. So hang on, so with the Biden reference there, you're saying this... This is the first non-racist killers album. Is that where you're going with that? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I'm not going fully in with the Biden references, all right? Uh, Just the kind of vague gist of the campaign. My argument, though, would be that the greatest killers album, the, be- the best killers album is, in fact, the greatest hits album, which is yet to be released. That's what I've always said that the killers make for like a phenomenal case study for the greatest hits band. See, like I really enjoyed this album, but purely on a surface level, it couldn't go beyond that for me. A six feels too low because it is very enjoyable. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be brought into the goodwill sphere here, and I'm gonna go six point five. <laughs> it's a yeah, really yeah. good album. I just didn't really take anything from it on an emotional level. But Carlo, I always take things on an emotional level when you're on the podcast <laughs> and, and offline too. So thank you so much for joining us <laughs> this time around. Couldn't have done it without you, man. Thank you, Carlo. Thanks very much, guys. Go Woo. check out Carlo's album, Calendar. It's on Spotify right now. We'll put a link to it on our Twitter. Beautiful. Check stuff. it out. It's good for a rainy day. All right, it's top five time. Craig Fitzpatrick, fictional acts that belong to their fictional world. Our friend David Tapley of Tandem Felix, who is also a patron of this show, patreon.com slash noencore. We encourage you to get in touch, by the way. You can message us there. You can drop us an email. That's how Uh, he gets to talk to us. (laughs) We won't talk to him elsewhere. (laughs) No uh, no show at gmail.com if you want to get in touch. You can give us top five ideas. You can get us on Twitter at noencoreshow. Or just ask us some general questions. If we stockpile a few, there could be an episode of that regard at some point in the future who knows but for now the reason i mentioned tapley is because when he found out that we were doing this top five as advertised on last week's show he got in touch straight away and he had all kinds of fucking parameters and i initially wasn't going to go with it but i was convinced what is the structure on this one craig so fictional acts are artists but they specifically have to be created for a work of fiction uh, at least initially um so not just some like fancy stage persona which we may do at some point, like alter egos, that could be fun. Um, so yeah, it, list- it has to be, you know, something created for film, TV. I suppose you could go books as well. Like in my research, there seems to be a lot of stuff written around that. Haven't picked any. I don't know if you have. I mean, I'm, the audio drops would be tough. But yeah, um, couched in its own universe, existing in some other art form, I guess, and from there, it can be, it's fair game, I think. Like if, if the band kind of takes on legs, if the artist kind of releases its own album, that's fine. But it's just, it's all couched in that initial work of fiction. That's good. I like it. Let's kick it off at number five for me. So yeah, that's um, Garth Algar doing a little bit better with the whole gay panic thing than his counterpart Wayne, whose name I forget actually, his surname from Wayne's World. What is his surname, Craig? Um, Wayne, I don't know, it'll come back to me. Although I did pick correctly then uh, when it came to my favours out of this and Bill and Ted, um, on point with it. Yeah, I, Wayne, you're, Wayne you're Campbell. F- 
Wayne Campbell. Wayne Campbell. Sorry. And you're a fan of Crucial Taunt, I believe? Correct, yes. I'm not right, picking okay. Wayne and Garth. I'm picking Crucial Taunt, fronted by Tia Carrera. The character is Cassandra Wong, who is the woman of Wayne Campbell's young dreams. And she can really wail on that bass guitar and playing songs yeah. like Touch Me and a great version of Ballroom Blitz. Uh, they're kind of the MacGuffin of the movie, right? Wayne's World, of course, is a spin-off of Saturday Night Live. One of the rare ones, I would say, that actually translated quite well to the screen. Now, listen, oh, again, this is a comedy from the year 1992. So, th- yes, there are some jokes in here that you will go back to and you'll be like, oh, no, man. But I do think that with Wayne's World, right, the sequel's not too bad either, but the, the first one's great. The hit rate in this movie of jokes is fantastic. Like there's like there's a good line or a good performance or a good comic moment every fucking ten seconds. Like it's yeah. kind of a, like like they don't make them like this anymore, you know? And again, any politically incorrect stuff, I'm obviously not on board. But Crystal Taunt are fucking awesome, right? Great band. Her voice always went through my head. <laughs> the band Great were tight, though. <laughs> Great band. <laughs> I, yeah, like I I don't know. The songs didn't quite do it for me. Uh, I mean, I don't know how they got as big as, as they were. I, I don't know if I, I liked them all that much. I liked her character. I think they worked really well as a plot device. Um, and I love how kind of good-natured that film is in general. And about that kind of scene, I think they capture that scene really well. Um, but yeah, was Rob Lowe chasing her. It's hilarious, of course. And then Rob Christopher Lowe, Walken he- in the second one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sle- sleazy kind of record executive television types. Um, yeah, the second one which say, features like my, sorry, my favourite Jim Morrison, which is the fictional Jim Morrison <laughs> in the second one, where he's like a spirit guide for Wayne. <laughs> I fucking love that. It has to be said, though, I mean, like, very, very bad form from Wayne just having a big chat, you know, in the middle of his his wannabe girlfriend's gig. Oh, totally. uh, the, the person who comes up to him and says that he loves him is, of course, Terry, a member of the crew, played by Lee Turgeson. Terry who Oz fans will remember as Tobias Beecher, a much different uh, type of entertainment. Very, very grim television show right there, but a HBO classic that paved the way for The Sopranos. Craig's not having any crucial taunt. I am. They're my number five. Nice choice. Um, Okay, my first one scores big on longevity, um, on like using the band mechanic to to like spin out seasons upon seasons of inventive storylines, give plenty of laughs, uh, but also kind of look at the human condition. And yes, the music might be abrasive to some, um, but I had kind of had two fake bands vying for position here, and the winner of the Europa League spot is... Holy shit. Yeah, sorry, Death Clock. You didn't quite make it. I could have gone with the hipster <laughs> adult swim choice, but no. Um, I, I have had some some great kind of hungover times um, watching uh, Metalocalypse, but I had to be true to myself. And definitely, I've spent more hours as a younger, more sober man slash child watching California Dreams. Um, I, I'm not sure, Dave, how familiar you are, but it was... <laughs> It was one of these Peter Engel kind of 
Saved by the Bell almost spin-offs. Basically, he was like, okay, I struck gold, this this producer, with Saved by the Bell. I'm just going to do Saved by the Bell, but they're a basketball team. Saved by the Bell, but they're like American students overseas. Um, or in the case of Saved by the Bell, the new class, Saved by the Bell, but they're just actors that aren't paid as much. With this, it was Saved by the Bell, where they're in a band. And... Uh, I feel like I shouldn't have slagged off Crucial Taunt because the music wasn't particularly great. But um, it was better than Zack Attack in Saved by the Bell, which I thought was an insult to the concept of fake bands and music. You remember Friends Forever? It was like very yuppie, Alex P. Keaton type stuff. Zack on lead guitar. It was horrendous. At least with this, they like incorporated the band dynamics. Um, you had the band manager, um, Sly Winkle, Everyone remembers his catchphrase, ba-boom, who could forget? Um, and you had, <laughs> my favourite was Jake Summers. Do you remember Jake Summers? Who was a bit of a bad boy. You could tell he was a bad boy because he always wore like a leather jacket. And he was going to beat up the lead singer in I think the first series. But actually then he like, he collared him and he was like, hey, you're banned, man. It's pretty good. I want in. And he became the guitarist. <laughs> For this really milk toast, like fucking sub carpenters California band, um. But yeah, I watched a lot of the shift in the mid nineties when I was about so wait, 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 wait. seven so or eight. That's where the that's where the fight like ape song came from, Jake Summers. I never knew this. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, and the whole thing ends. Uh, spoilers for California Dreams with him actually getting a record contract and the rest of the band, who've had like numerous lineup changes as they just kind of constantly replaced actors. Um, from seemingly one episode to the next without letting you know what was going on. He gets a record contract and he's like, no, I want the band as well. They're not like included. And the band are like, listen, we're going to college to study marine biology or whatever. You go be a big solo star. And that's how it ended. Uh, it was quite heartfelt. So yeah, California I Dreams, will, soft spot. I have, to, I have to make a confession, Craig. I, I, I was never a Saved by the Bell guy. Um, and I was never what? a California, what did you watch? yeah, I was never a California dreams guy. I watched more adult fair, like Beverly Hills, 90210 and Melrose place, you know, that's what I was seven. into. <laughs> I had a weird upbringing. Okay. But <laughs> okay, I will say I, I, on the subject of like more idyllic, slightly, you know, kid friendly stuff. I was more all about stuff like this at number four. I paid for her dreams, she taught me to cry Like watery knives, like rain from my eyes I can't believe you're not mine I can't believe you're not mine Argentine Argentine That is, of course, Homer Simpson there and his college band, Sadgasm. This is more like it. There you (laughs) go. I had had long tapped out by the time that uh, Sadgasm came along with regards to my Simpsons fandom, because it is one of those later season issues. But uh, I thought this was pretty funny. It is, of course, a band indebted to the grunge world. The song there, Margarine. What song is it taken off, Craig? I'm sure you know. What is it? Refresh. I don't know. It's uh, it's Bush and Glycerine. Oh, Glycerine. 
Yeah, Bush. Gavin Rosdale. Oh my God, I, I know. hated him. Well, see, this is interesting because it led me back to Bush. What a sentence that is. And I was like, <laughs> here's Glycerine, a song that is not very good. But also, remember, the, remember their big one? What was their big one? Remember it? Oh, dude, I don't, I've like expunged fucking Bush from my memory. I know Adam. he went out with Courtney Love for a while. That's better. Put Craig out of his misery. Yeah, man, it's Swallowed. What a song, you know? I will say that, you know, I can, I can see why Bush were big. You go back and you look at that video and Gavin Rosdale is a very handsome young man. It must be so. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. Amazing that Homer <laughs> Not- went from this sound to completely then sell out and go full barbershop later with the B-sharps, but... Um, he's I a mean, renaissance a, man, it, must be said. It's a, win, it's a window. You asked earlier on what would Kirk Cobain be doing today or what, what would he think of all this? This is what he could be doing. Um, it's a good joke. It, you know, Homer's obviously decked out in the in the green stripy grunge thing. And yeah. there is a hilarious bit, though. I think it's like a montage bit or it's a bit in the episode where like Marge, at the height of like their fame or whatever, Marge like walks in them and he's got like a syringe in his arm. And she's just like, oh my God, no. And then like, you know, he's like, I need it. And then like, she like rushes him out there and it transpires, of course, like he's diabetic and needed the yeah, insulin. Yeah. And it's just like, Great. Okay. lovely stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, you might've heard the song trail off there as well. I think someone did like a weird Pixies-esque remix of it. But uh, yeah, it was a, a rare moment in later era Simpsons where they were a little bit inspired. It's an easy joke, but it's a good one. And that's my number four. Very good shout. Okay, I'm going to stick with the animation for my number four. I eat my sugar cereal, but it makes my teeth bacterial. The Deathless Killer Tofu there by The Beats from the show Doug. And Adam, you're correct. It does sound quite a lot guitar-wise uh, like um, Don't Fear the Reaper. What a tune. Brilliant melodies. Uh, I had totally forgotten about this song, this band being quite a significant part of the, the series Doug. Uh, until I was doing my research this week and I stuck on a Spotify playlist of fictional bands. Uh, mainly to catch up with like Scott Pilgrim stuff because I remember Beck did some of those songs and I was like how good were they again and I played through a couple of them and they were like grand and then this came on and I was like which band in Scott Pilgrim was this was this like the really good band because obviously it's a total jam it must be and no it was from Doug so the Beats were the biggest band in Bluffington beloved of Doug um, Skeeter Valentine uh, Paddy Mayonnaise the whole crew uh, clearly modelled on like British invasion bands, but also kind of the Ramones. There's like Jonathan Richmond vibes in there as well. Did a bunch of songs. I Need More Allowance was a big hit. Uh, I Sneezed on My Face, which was a take off of I've Just Seen a Face by the Beatles. Um, they're in, like every time they seemed to play the town, it was like their final gig. They were just about to break up, which is kind of hilarious. Um, there was a whole episode where Doug and Skeeter were trying to get tickets to a show. And, like, they had to call, like, fucking K-Bluff for, like, a, a phone-in thing. 
and like answer trivia where like some of the questions were um on what like beats album is there a really tiny almost microscopic uh picture of chap lippman after his gallbladder surgery and doug was like uh, i don't know beats me and they're like yeah beats me which is just good humor <laughs> <laughs> oh man i didn't know i, I know this is really wholesome for me i fucking loved doug i was obsessed doug with this so show. good yeah yeah, yeah i it adored really it good. yeah it was class um, and uh, there is what i like Sorry, what I liked about it was that it was clearly like a small team of writers that just got like free license to really, they weren't like writing a kid's show, they were enjoying it. And that translates, I think, to the music as well, Fred Newman. Uh, it's like g- good quality stuff. What were you going to say? I was going to say that there's a Twitter account. I, I've I've been trying so hard to hold this together uh, while you were talking because there's a Twitter account which actually hasn't updated since 2016. So it's over. Okay. But like a Twitter account called Doug Episodes, which would just tweet out like, ideas for Doug episodes and they were of particularly <laughs> dark and strange nature and there's one in particular that I remember just destroyed me when I saw it and I have it here Doug has locked in syndrome and is sentient as his father drives his living corpse out to the woods and leaves it there <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. like that dark Simpsons episode you remember that fucking creepypasta Oh god, I don't think I've seen that one. Oh, Fucking hell! Because yeah. Doug was just so, so, yeah, Doug was like mostly like quite a nice show, <laughs> like so to really take really wholesome in that direction. Uh, is fucked. Dad up. and Hey Arnold were were big for me. I think and Hey Arnold obviously was massively into jazz and had the coolest bedroom of all time. Number three for me, Craig didn't want to go to it. Scott Pilgrim versus the World, but I have. Let's do it. Hello again, friend of a friend. I knew you were. Larson, who of course would yeah. later go on to lift Oscar gold for that terrible film Room, and this is a film that may be terrible. I guess we'll talk about it in a second. This is from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World in 2010. Brie Larson here is playing an ex-girlfriend of Scott, the one who broke his heart, aka as a, sorry, a character called Natalie, also known as Envy Adams, and yeah. she is fronting a band called The Clash at Demon Head, who come back to Toronto to play a gig, and wouldn't you know it, Scott's on this weird quest where he has to fight all of the evil exes of a girl he's into now and one of them is in the band played very very well by Brandon Routh who was chosen to be the new Superman for Superman Returns that film was terrible his career didn't really take off but he's excellent as this ridiculous jock called Todd who's like got vegan powers and it's oh, all yeah, he uses stylized. his veganism against him yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's good it's good it's good like it's quite well done um, and the song that is being played there is by Metric the song is Black Sheep sang by Brie Larson quite well I would say I think she does a fucking killer job at it you only get a bit of it in the film and it is a film that has a few bands Scott has a band of his own called Sex Bob-omb. there's also 
Crash and the Boys, who are tremendous. Crash and the Boys are amazing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the first band they go up against. Uh, but I recently rewatched Scott Pilgrim 10 years after it came out. I watched it with my housemate, my uh, beloved personal news reporter, Richard Chambers, who did not like the film and thought that the messaging was quite gross. Thought it was all about, you know, treating women as trophies and, you know, the argument's in there for sure. Because I think that the character of Scott Pilgrim might have problems with... like that. From, yeah, I, I had the character... I've had problems with the Scott Pilgrim character from day one. I don't think he's a very likable guy. He's a bit of a horrible prick. And I know it's about to be him, like, you know getting older and like you know shaking off immaturity but i can see the arguments against it some people think it's a fucking amazing film i think visually it's brilliant and the music is excellent do you know who was in charge of the music for this film craig uh it was beck wasn't it wasn't beck overseeing it no beck did some stuff on it though he just did some songs okay who was overseeing it nigel godrich of radiohead fame oh okay 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 that makes sense yeah it's really well judged in terms of like the songs are kind of good, but are at the level where it sounds like, oh yeah, that's a good song from that like Battle of the Bands band. They feel like legit songs that those characters would be doing, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like, oh, here's a movie song ever. Um, yeah, I quite enjoyed the film. I totally get the the problems with the central character. He opens with him dating a 17-year-old, I think. Um, and the film probably doesn't do enough to show his journey to not being a horrendous prick. And Michael Sarah probably was everywhere at that point and mightn't have been the best choice. But I think overall the film hangs together pretty well. It's very, yeah, it it's look, achingly fucking it looks indie great. 2010. Like, oh, yeah, big time. It's extremely hipster. It looks great. It's got great atmosphere and visuals. The The band moments are, are, are quite well delivered. I remember seeing it in the cinema 10 years ago. And I remember like when the opening credit thing came on and it was like the Universal logo, but an 8-bit kind of. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sonic Architect Adam suggests that it's a landfill indie movie, landfill. which it may well, it may well be. Fair. But I remember that logo coming on and the crowd starting to cheer. And I was like, oh shit, am I old? I think I might be old. And then there was a bit like about half an hour in where it cuts back to his apartment and they play like the Seinfeld thing like the bear boom and I laughed and me and one other person in the cinema laughed and that's when I was like I love yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm done now I'm no longer cool Aaron Culkin um, is probably the best thing about it I would say he's very good now Chris Evans is fucking excellent in it Um you mentioned the 17 year old that Scott is dating that's Ellen Wong she's fantastic she's the real hero of the movie is Knives yeah. Chow I would suggest yeah, Anna she's, Kendrick's she's really an excellent character. Too. She has re- and actually she was much older in Seventeen, wasn't she? She was, I think, older in Michael Sarah's time. But yeah, she's a very good character. It's a good film. It's got it's a problems, good film. It's got problems, it's but I will film. say that I will say that Brie Larson does a fucking killer job. You can get this version of uh, Black Sheep on SoundCloud. It's fucking great. Check it out. Cool. Okay, uh, talking about making yourself feel old. Um, with this film, uh, I think this was the first time I did that thing where you double time to make yourself feel old so i remember i was finishing college and it had been as long since this movie was released in 1998 as the year it was set in had been then which was 1985 here's a clip where your hero confesses he's been listening to the cure a lot glad with what you've done to me I lay in bed all day long feeling melancholy You left me here all alone Tears running constantly Oh somebody kill me please Somebody kill me please I love that song. Um, Adam Sandler there as Robbie Hart in The Wedding Singer. Um, 
which is part of my holy trinity of Adam Sandler films, which includes Uncut Gems now, Punch Drunk Love, of course, and yeah, this. I, I was always a fan of this. I thought it was surprisingly sweet. Uh, set in the mid-80s and just a sublime soundtrack. And yeah, he is the titular wedding singer. Um, not the best voice in the world, but he's quite musically talented. I think he wrote the songs in it. Um, he writes a song for Drew Barrymore's character later in the film. And I just loved that whole vibe. I think he sold the, the kind of um, slightly failing at life wedding singer who really wants to do original material thing quite well. Um, I also loved Alexis Arquette um, as I think George in the in the band, kind of a play on Boy George and just like um, gets her moment to shine doing Boy George songs um, and culture club, club stuff during like kind of lulls in every wedding and like the kind of the very transphobic or homophobic members of every kind of wedding party would be looking on baffled as they did like tremendous versions of like do you really want to hurt me uh, which I thought was like a really good joke at like the uh, aimed at the you know the right kind of people um so yeah yeah and this is such a cathartic song I just I listened to this for I won't say pleasure but it shakes off the cobwebs it's good <laughs> I had the soundtrack I loved this film I haven't yeah, seen it possibly since that time i think i am scared to go back to it because i'm sure it's got plenty of joke that you're like i don't know but i do remember as you say i remember finding it surprisingly sweet and heartfelt and there is a nice element to it at least that's what i recall from what yeah fucking 99 was it like it was that long ago 98 yeah probably 99 when it arrived here yeah i did i love the soundtrack though i think there was like was there a cover of video killed the radio star by the presence of the usa possibly on there there was yeah, and yeah, yeah, and I remember this one. I, mean, I remember playing this one a lot in my in my teenage bedroom, and you know Adam Sandler screaming that he wants you know I want to die, put a bullet in my head or whatever, and I'm like, no, no, it's from a comedy film, Mom. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's it's a good like pick me up song where it's like exaggerating your problems in life so much that it cheers you up. It's like a kind of end of the world as we know it thing. Like sometimes I'll just sing the chorus in my head when I'm just like, uh, you know, just kind of as a joke. To kind of get it, go get over yourself. Um, really strong melody as well. All right, my silver medal this week concerns a band who did not have as happy an ending as Robbie Hart. All right, so all set. Uh, matinee tomorrow. Doors at one. You guys are on at three. I texted the Addy. How much? Uh, three fifty. Master tab. And um, just so you know, it's mostly boots and braces down there. Skins is some at every show. Thank you, that was a cover. Yeah, that's the Ain't Rights playing at an alt-right fucking Nazi club uh, playing a cover of Dead Kennedy's Nazi Punk's Fuck Off, which is... You gotta say, a brave thing to do given the circumstances, and unfortunately the band will very much pay for it later on. Have you seen Green Room yet, Craig? No, I haven't. It's on my list. I love the premise so much, and it's recommended by everyone that's seen it, so gotta sort it out. Yeah, I got into it, and um, then just something came up and I couldn't watch the rest of it, but I will. It's lean and very, very mean. It's the subject of a no popcorn episode as well. Go back and check it out if you have yet to. And yeah, the premise, like I say, punk band traveling around America, you know, fuck all money, playing gigs where they can get one, end up having a gig get canceled on them. Someone gets them a gig at the last minute and it is in the worst kind of place imaginable, a remote sanctuary for neo-Nazis. Something goes horribly wrong after the gig 
and they find themselves fighting for their lives, emanating from the titular green room. Superb film. Um, really, really visceral. Very harsh in places, but, you know, meant in the right sentiment. I think it's not quite gratuitous. It's genuinely affecting. Uh, made all the more so by the fact that Anton Yelchin is a member of this band. It's one of his last films, the actor who would tragically pass away not long afterwards, a couple of years later, I believe, in a tragic accident. Uh Fucking stunning performance from him. Amazing performance from like Imogen Poots is in this as well. She's great. You got uh, you got Joe Cole of Peaky Blinders fame. He's the drummer of the band. He gets a great line about Prince in the movie. Uh, it's really effective. Patrick Stewart gets a lot of plaudits as well for his turn as one of the neo Nazis. Uh, calm voiced, but you know, cruel in his intentions. It's just a superb horror film. It's a superb thriller film. It's a superb music film as well. Like the punk music in this movie is excellent. They feel like a punk band, the Ain't Rights. They they really do feel like a genuine collective. Aaliyah Shawcat of Arrested Development fame is also in the troupe. And it's tough, though. It's it's not one you'd throw on for a bit of a, a bit of a laugh, but it is superior filmmaking. And it felt right to pay tribute to the Ain't Rights on this one because they had the night of their lives, unfortunately. <laughs> My cousin Owen, who's a, a really good guitarist in his own right, uh, gigs a lot, um, was gigged kind of everywhere. He was in Eastern Europe a few years ago playing with a band in a kind of, uh, like a basement bar setup, and there was different kind of levels to it. And the room above, which is like a function room, halfway through the set, I think, was kind of a bit of a commotion. And word got around that like these neo-Nazis had rented out the place and they were like proceeding to fight and just get hammered and like things were going very, very sideways very quickly. Meanwhile, my cousin is like, in this fucking, you know, typical band, whatever, long-haired dude. It was a bit of a more bohemian setup in the basement. And he was like, right, I'm off. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> and he's like, it seemed so dodgy that he didn't even want to go up the stairs to try and chance it getting out. So he crawled out the fucking bathroom window in the cellar and just Holy took off. shit. Oh my God. <laughs> like, so yeah, I could have gone sideways. Has um, he seen this life, film? Because he, he really should see this film. Um, oh yeah, we haven't talked about it. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he needs to see it. Um, okay. Get it done and get on the uh, get, on, get on the No Popcorn episode because Higgs actually has a great story on that episode. Well, it's great in one way and it's horrible in another. It doesn't involve neo-Nazis, but it does involve his time on tour with a band in which some fucking bad things did happen there as well. So check it out. What I recommend for a sunshine great. movie, you know? It's great though, yeah, I swear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of no popcorn, uh, I'm going from 80s to 60s. Uh, more recent love for me. Uh, it's time to go to outer space, Dave, whether you like it or not. Hey, look, I'm happy for the gig, but who who wrote this? I did. Okay. So, okay. Good. Shout. Please, Mr. Kennedy, take one and we're rolling. One second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I don't want to go. Don't show me in the outer space. Oh, please, Mr. Kennedy. Stellar trio there of uh, Jim Berkey, Al Cody, and uh, Lewin Davis. Uh, otherwise known as Oscar Isaac and Justin Timberlake and Adam Driver doing that incredible backing vocals. I believe he hates his performance in this film or just did not want to watch it. Uh, he's tremendous. Uh, everyone's tremendous. I love this Coen Brothers film. I came to it very, very late, um, which is typical me after plenty of recommendations. No popcorn episodes, the lot, but it's, yeah, it's my number two. Lewin Davis as a character. 
What an incredible performance from Oscar Isaac. I think it totally nails uh, that type of musician who is desperately striving for authenticity at the, you know, the sake of everything else. Who's very inward and caught up with himself and is working hard, but is just realizing that the kind of the American dreams of like working hard and then getting your big break maybe isn't going to happen for him. Um, it's quite desolate in that way, but it's just so on point. Uh, really evokes that kind of 60s scene tremendously well the music in it's great like that's a you know that's played for laughs that's a novelty song uh please mr kennedy um to kind of like capture the zeitgeist and make them some money i guess uh, but actually it's a bit of a tune as well as with most of the songs in it and yeah they're really well pitched because you know um when davis is like there's a few big moments where he has to perform and doesn't always get the response he perhaps wishes and it is that thing where it's like yeah that's a really good performance and i'm not sure it's a great one i'm not sure it's going to be a career making one we'll see what happens but um so well judged really kind of emotionally hit me i've, I've watched it twice now in kind of quick succession and yeah great great film i love it yeah and i love that bit where you know he goes hey i'm happy for the gig and all but uh who wrote this and just and justin timberlake's character is like i did and he just looks so upset he plays it beautifully yeah crestfallen yeah Yeah, it's excellent and i think it's the last time you see timberlake in the movie the movie uses him very sparingly i think he's fucking great in it it's so well cast listen it's a film i've talked about it so often there's as you say there is a no popcorn episode all about inside Lewin davis i'd encourage you to go check it out so i'll move I'll, I'll, i'll hastily move on to my number one If I had wings like Nora's dove, I'd fly up the river to the one I love. Oh, baby, well, oh, Of course, it is in fact Lewin Davis from the motion picture Inside Lewin Davis, and that is one Great of those podcasts. It's one of those podcast coincidences. I didn't know you had it. The structure played out pretty well there, thankfully. Um, yeah, listen, fucking stunning film. I echo everything that you said there. Oscar Isaac's performance is Titanic. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous picture. I wish I had seen it in the cinema, even though it isn't the most cinematic of things. For I a combo, this film. Yeah, for a combo of this film, it's quite lean. I think it's under two hours. It looks gorgeous, even though like it's all washed out, it's all greyed out. And that was one of my problems, one of my many problems with a uh, big Christopher Nolan's Tenet that I went to see this week. I thought it looked gross and jaundicey, but here it kind of works. Um, I don't know what it is, man. I just, every time I watch this film, and I'm not surprised to hear you say that you've watched it a couple of times in quick succession, because I've seen it like five or six times now, and I could probably watch it five or six times more. It isn't the most uplifting thing ever, but there's something in here. There's something bottled up deep inside yeah. Um, I know, you know, aforementioned no popcorn episode, we had David Tapley on that one and he's not a fan. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm thinking of him listening to this right now and being like, for fuck's sake. But like, I don't know, it just does something to me, dude. Like, I mean, like, I, again, like, I mean, like this kind of music wouldn't even be my go to, but I love every song in this film. Uh, I think it's perfectly judged. I, th- I think every kind of it, it feels like a like a play. It feels like a tragedy. It feels like a comedy. It feels like a classic, you know, like the characters are the chorus, you know, Carrie Mulligan in particular is clearly that kind of spirit guide for for good and bad the characters that come in and out of it like these instantly memorable small parts but they're just they dominate the screen and john goodman yeah fucking everybody man i mean like adam driver as you mentioned and i mean like 
everyone gets their time to shine, but Lewin Davis holds it all together. You desperately root for this guy, even though he is caustic and he destroys everything that is around him. You want him, when he's in front of F. Murray Abraham, you desperately want it to go well. You know, you get him performing the music on his own and like it's the whole message is that like he's better off in a band. He's not going to cut it as a solo. But I don't know, man. Those moments of Oscar Isaac, just him and gorgeously shot like like it looks so fucking incredible with the smoke coming around him as well in that club yeah. i don't know he, like he he reaches into some kind of incredible emotional uh, precipice that I, I i think is fantastic and again as i've said before and i know uh aforementioned tapley will not be pleased with this either but i thought marcus mumford did a really fucking good job on on the music that he worked on on this one but for, more on mention that, his for, for more on that in which we which we dive deep get on that no popcorn episode seriously Okay, my number one um, is a case of going to a very emotional place as well, Dave. Um, let's go back before, way back in time, before the dawn of history. Who they were, or what they were doing, but their legacy remains huge. Oh, I had to get in some of that like minor key chorus. So beautiful. Could only be one uh, Stonehenge there from the mighty Spinal Tap. Uh, I think that was taken from Smell the Glove. Uh, could have been on Intravenous to Milo. And yeah, like it's an obvious choice because in terms of rock mockumentaries, music mockumentaries, this like wrote the real book just on rock and roll parody. Uh, still, I think, fairly peerless. There's been a bunch of those kind of films in like the 35 years since it was released, but I think it's so spot on um, in terms of its parody that most of the comparisons that are drawn um, between it and other stuff is like to actual music documentaries. Um, And yeah, of course, just they managed to write really, really catchy songs as well to go with it all. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that core trio of Christopher Guest, Michael McKean, Harry Shearer, um, so good, wrote the songs. Uh, all the scenes are kind of famous at this point. There's probably no point really going through them all. I will say I love the various incarnations as well. And if we cast our minds back to their initial um, incarnation as a skiffle band called the Tamesman, a little snippet of that as well, which Don't is a jam. If you forget it. Try getting me right. Your face is okay, but your purse is too tight. I'm looking for pound notes, loose change, bad checks, anything. Give me some money. Yeah, I mean to go from that to their eventual freeform jazz expiration in front of a festival crowd. Uh, I was watching that scene earlier on. So good, just like as things are going wrong. 
<laughs> and Michael McKean just goes, on the base, Derek Smalls, he wrote this. It's such a fucking, the film is full of those kind of ad-libs that are just tremendous. Um, are you a top fan, Dave? Oh yeah, it's class. Like, I mean, it yeah. was... I Such an obvious one, but I have to put it I, in. I, I, I didn't predict your number one, but I guess, it, yeah, well, as soon as it started playing, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. I thought about it. Um, yeah, like it, as you say, it's one of those off-sided, but off-sided for a reason. It's genuinely still a funny film today. Throw it on, you know? Get involved. Definitely do. So, uh, that's top five, Craig. Thought we did a good job there. I enjoyed the that. The journey. I enjoyed that. Very much so. Yeah, Great picks. some good stuff in there. You Maybe know? I need um, to reevaluate Crucial Taunt. Maybe you do. This episode of No Encore, meanwhile, was evaluated and engineered by Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan. I should note, other listening corner, I've got a lot of Irish stuff in here, but let's note Adam for a second. My Fault, great music, got a song called Bloom, which he said was a good song for a rainy day, and let me tell you, it fucking is. Now, and other Irish releases, some new ones, right? James Vincent McMorrow's got a new song out at the moment. Came out about a week ago. It's called I Should Go. Bit of a belter. I mentioned it. it on this very show. It is a belter, isn't it? Yeah. Bit of a belter. I spent yeah. some more time with it this week. But uh, there's some <laughs> there's some, there's some, some other, some 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 uh, perhaps more substantial long players, I guess, in the world. For example, uh, there's Self Portrait, the debut album from Marcus Woods, 20-year-old producer who's been uh, kind of hustling up a good storm, I thought, over the last few months. And uh, this this album, which he's bringing out to the world, begins with a nine-minute ambient track, very similar to the link I sent you last night, Craig, which is 10 hours via Dahi, by the way, of oh, uh, man. Blade Runner ASMR. Do you want to describe what that's like for a second? I assume you haven't listened Fucking to all... heaven. <laughs> yeah, all 10 hours. I, I can't imagine that you've done that just yet. But uh, it's that kind of beautiful ambient sound that you love. Uh, and Marcus, I guess, you know, per his own words, is influenced by the likes of James Blake, Andy Stott, Aphex Twin, Blank Banshee, and Tajiko Noriko. Uh, the production blends trap, ambient, and experimental genres into one as he aims to find a middle ground in between that, lush sounds and hard-hitting drum patterns, giving the listener a feeling of serenity, yet keeping them in check with fast-paced drums and 808s fused with the atmospheric sounds and textures. Now, that does sound very ambitious, but I think he pulls it off. Uh, he's been working on this album for about 16 months, and that opening track, that nine-minute affair, I think I saw him on Twitter during the week saying, like, what the fuck have I done no one's going to listen past like a nine minute track for your, like 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 opening the thing. This is such a bad idea. I I'm going to politely disagree with him. I think it's a fucking great idea. It's an excellent song. The whole album is really really worth checking out, and I would recommend doing so. But whatever you do, don't miss the wonderful welcome return of for those I love. Who of course back, was my back, fucking back. back 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 was my album of last year. But then you know it got taken down. It's the beard, so, yeah, yeah, self-titled yeah. album from a, an Irish artist by the name of Dave Balf. Incredible, incredible piece of work. Just kind of a very unique and singular thing. Hard to kind of even put into words. We talked a lot about it. I think a lot of people are familiar. I saw a lot of people today very, very excited. He's dropped a 47-minute mixtape called Into a World That Doesn't Understand It Unless You're From It. It's on the For Those I Love Bandcamp at the moment. Uh, and as a matter of fact... It's available as a limited edition cassette tape, which I have in fact shelled out for. And I'm very much looking forward to arriving, perhaps Frank Ocean style in a very long time. Uh, <laughs> no one's, nobody's making music like this guy. It's different. It's direct. It's immediate. It's passionate. It's heartfelt. It's so fucking much. And I love it. And I need it. And I'm delighted he's back. I We're going to get news, I think, in the near future about that album coming back. I don't know what form that will take because there are 
some traces of it on this this kind of you know for those that love radio as he calls it at one stage so i don't know if we're going to get something completely different i don't know if we're going to get a straight reissue i don't know if we're going to get old and new but like you want to talk about vital music which i always talk about for those i love has that in spades and stop what you're doing now and go check it out very very good um i've been getting reacquainted with some wilco this week um particularly their seminal album yankee hotel foxtrot which is you know talking about the killers and making very american albums and possibly a great album that is a great american album i'd forgotten how incredible it was in terms of newer acquaintances uh beverly glenn copeland i'm not sure if you're familiar with their work but was blown away this week at the discovery of just this immense kind of catalog um a 1986 album from Keyboard Fantasies was like this kind of real cult release. It just blew my mind when I heard it. Um, so I would recommend everyone check that out. Um, more recent song, La Vita, and there's lots of more recent work. Uh, Beverly's well into their 70s at this point and was planning on touring, doing a world tour for, I think, the first time ever this year, which obviously then didn't go ahead. I feel like they lost their home or there's been really kind of, they've, they've been struggling. There's been big fundraisers. Um, but yeah, Beautiful Soul, an amazing artist. I'm looking forward to discovering more of that stuff. But yeah, Keyboard Fantasies, I recommend everyone check it out. Very uplifting stuff. All right, man. Thank you for your assistance on an epic episode. I enjoyed Thank this Thank you, one. dude. I hope enjoyed you did it. Yeah, it's fun. All right, we'll be back next week with a new album review, a new top five, and lots more besides. My name is Dave Hanready. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. This has been No Encore. There will be no encore, and we're back in a week's time. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.